Okay, we are in. Screen heating our way to the top. Hot. Oh, yes. As temperatures cool, Miami remains hot. Yes. And not only because of the weather. Disney Plus is hot. Damn. It's Disney Plus Day. It's a national holiday. Might as well be. Breaking the internet. Yes. Breaking the streamers. Man, it's insane what's going on out there. But, uh, but yeah, so much going on. And then the local heat, we are so excited because our guest today is the chairman of the board of the Borscht Corporation. Brett Potter. Brett Potter, an amazing filmmaker, pioneer of the independent film industry here in Miami. Trans- one of the pioneers. One of the. You are one of the pioneers. It's a collective. Yeah. We have all pioneered in one way or the other. <laughs> Either intentionally or all in- unintentionally. <laughs> we all make part of that, pardon the pun, that Borscht. Right? Yes. And that's coming up, the Borscht Film Festival. Yeah. So Brett was kind enough to come in. Uh, Tomorrow, November 15th, will be the launch of the next edition of the Borscht Festival. They're calling it Borscht Zero. So apparently two years ago, they killed Borscht. They killed it and they brought it back to life. Yes. So it's Borscht Zero officially. But Brett will talk about that, actually. Talk about all that stuff. And we're very excited that this festival is coming. For any of our folks here in South Florida, definitely try to check it out or, you know, hop a plane. Yes. Come and check it out. It's going to be going on for a while. But, yes, so much going on in the world of the streaming wars. This is a battle. Battle of the streamers. And it has, I think, just been taken up to the upteenth level when you talk about Disney Plus. The Death Star has arrived. Bloodletting. Oof few kinks there's blood in the water there is blood uh i'm sure working it out so uh this week definitely disney plus breaking the internet to the point that uh service has been shut down momentarily on some platforms mickey is working double time they got goofy on the boards they got let's do it (laughs) people need their content (laughs) donald on the boards oh boy what are we doing over here (laughs) there are too many buttons to push Okay, that's all I got. Yeah, that's good enough. Because <laughs> everybody is working that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Who yeah. would have expected it? I mean, I, I, I imagine, you know, because of the marketing muscle that Disney has globally and how long they've already been kind of, you know, pumping the idea that this was coming, all the disc, early discounts starting with the D23 convention. And then if you were, if you've ever visited a Disney theme park, I'm sure you got an email. Yeah. So the, the marketing potential because of the brands that, Disney is and that they represent because remember they're also bringing in the Marvel Universe yeah Star Wars Star Wars the yeah. Mandalorian that's one of the big shows I've, yeah. uh, I've started it the 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 intro's phenomenal I'm hooked already oh wow so that's gonna be a really really the intro good. got you hooked oh yes yeah just that little <laughs> opening and you know just seeing that Mose Eisley kind of cantina vibe and you know the gunslinger mentality but it's in space like it's cool man it felt like a western ah yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So I'm I haven't seen it. I'm already in. And plus, I already texted the kids. They're excited tonight. Got to finish the homework early. <laughs> <laughs> Get them packed up. Oh, yes. It's going to be a Disney princess-a-thon. <laughs> but you, you certainly, you have to get Disney Plus. I mean, I you have three kids. Yeah, so. six-year-old, three-year-old, and then a five-month-old. So, yeah, we are definitely in the zoom. Mickey is calling. There is no choice. <laughs> but, yeah, that's that's been good. Uh in relation to Disney, or I guess kids' content, there's another reason to celebrate this week, is that Sesame Street this year is celebrating the anniversary, 50th anniversary, 50. 
big 5-0. Yes. Congrats to Sesame Street and also to one of our longtime MMFMers at the conference, Luis Santero. Yes. Who has been a head writer at Sesame Street for very many years. He's won over 20 Emmy Awards. He is on board to write a few episodes of the 50th anniversary. So congrats to Lewis and to the home folks here in Miami. You may recognize his one of his first shows, which was Que Pasa USA. That's right. It was a PBS sitcom that was funded by public television and actually grew to become one of the most popular sitcoms in the United States. They even had a state show. They did. And they were on the cover of TV Guide at one yeah. point as, you know, one of the best American sitcoms. So Sparked a couple of careers. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, Lewis's career took off from there. He stayed in the PBS family, moved up to New York, and has been doing phenomenal work for Sesame Street for many years. But actors. Oh, yes. Oh, man. I mean, do you remember some of the old actors that were on there? Yes, but I do remember one in particular who went on to do Scarface and many other things. I mean, Scarface, but... Um, sure. Showtime's uh, Ray Donovan. Right. There you go. Um, You're talking about Stephen Bauer? Stephen Bauer. Yeah. He was on Que Pasa USA. Andy Garcia was on Que Pasa USA. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, yeah. Our, our, the executive director, uh, chief executive of MMFM, Patty Arias, also acted on Que Pasa USA. Wow. Everybody. I was on Que Pasa USA. Yeah. I mean, you're probably, yeah. A couple years <laughs> I mean, old. I wasn't, but I, <laughs> no, I wasn't even around, but, but. Yeah, it sparked a lot of it careers. Did. And it felt like it was such a local thing. You know, a Cuban-American family in Miami, you know, so many cultural references, but it really kind of hit a zeitgeist, you know, in North America. And it was just amazing to see how, how you know, a PBS show was able to rise to that level. Yeah, so Sesame yeah. Street. Sesame Street is doing has been doing its thing for years. It's really, you know, they say what put PBS on the map. Essentially, mm-hmm. like it was literally that that was their staple show. Obviously, then you had shows like Mr. Rogers Neighborhood. Yeah, they got a film coming out soon. Yeah. Tom Hanks. Just give him the Oscar. Just give him just the hand it to him. There you go. Yeah. He's, <laughs> he needs that third. It's, it's, those, those other two are feeling lonely. <laughs> I guess yeah, I just I've just seen the trailers. So yeah. I just yeah, give yeah, it to yeah. him. Yeah. So as always, not to disparage anyone else, you know, because there have been great performances. Joker. Incredible. Oh, my performance. gosh. I know. How do you choose? I think this is going to be the year of the actor for sure. Yeah. Some yeah. Re- and you know we were just talking off mic about Ford versus Ferrari. Yeah. That's another one. Christian Bale. A lot of actor buzz. Wow. And that's exciting. I'm a big Ford fan, so I'm I'm really really pumped to see that. I had a Mustang when I was in high school and college. So uh, Mustang, sadly. Yeah. Little GT. Yeah. At the time it was a 4.6, and now they're back to the 5.0. I went to the auto show this weekend and I saw the latest models. Uh. Nice. Might have to get it after kids grow up. Yeah. Ford, if you're listening, we are open to sponsorships. There you go. Speaking of sponsorships, our sponsors. Let's mention that. Yes. Kajik Multimedia. Cinevision. Ah, Miami Media and Film Market. And Camacol. Yes. Thank you all for your support. Yes. They allow us to bring all this beautiful information to our lovely listeners. Yes. So, next bit of information, the box office. What do we got? There is a lot of rising tides and low tides. So the box office is ahead. But I think, you know, more than anything, there have been big surprises Mm. both ways. Right. Joker is about to hit a billion. Yeah, it's going to hit a billion. It's going to be a worldwide billion considered now the most profitable superhero movie of all time. Yeah. Do you believe that? I mean, we live in the age of the Marvel, Avengers, Endgame. Like, and again, 
credit to Warner Brothers for for having a production budget that was low enough. Yeah, but they did not expect this. They no way in the world. Wow. Yeah. But yes, a, a global phenomenon. And you and and you have to realize. And I had this argument with my brother yesterday. When they say most profitable, hmm. Joker, fifty million dollars to make. Yeah. When you talk about the other Marvel movies, $150 million plus. Yeah. And that's without prints and advertising. Sure. That's without all the marketing, mm-hmm. which, you know, the marketing budgets typically, you know, go into, you know, a couple of hundred million. Right. For a film that's about 150 to $200 million film. Mm. For Joker, the marketing campaign is lower. So profitability a film that only costs 50 million dollars to make and it's going to make a billion dollars yeah you think about those profits oh my gosh yeah it's insane and it's it's mind-boggling when you think about it but you know the industry knows that they need to hedge their bets and they need these big winners to offset some of the losers uh, yeah and, and better i'm insane. sure they didn't think that this was going to be but such a big winner but some of the losers right. they did not anticipate right so it, it all kind of balances out yeah yeah. So, yeah, this past weekend, we were expecting a little more from the sequel to The Shining. Uh, it didn't do as well as people thought. Uh, they were expecting somewhere in the 25 to $30 million range for Dr. Sleep. It came in under 15 a very sleepy performance. Sorry, guys. Uh, and there was a, a couple of... Midway did a little better than people thought, but still... It didn't hit the numbers. It's it still didn't hit the numbers. Yeah, it's a $100 million plus budget. And they did 17 and a half on opening weekend. Now there's going to be a much more crowded marketplace. Pretty soon, you know, we got Ford versus Ferrari coming out. We got Disney coming out with Frozen 2. You got the big Star Wars franchise for the ninth episode coming out in December. There's not a lot of time for these movies to make up that ground. No. At least not theatrically. No. And then you got Last Christmas. Oh, yeah. Last cri- also, for Universal, that rom-com underperformed. And they should have released it last Christmas. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> they were just one Christmas too late. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Yes. Should have yes. come in before the streaming wars. Mother maybe. of Dragons. Yeah, yeah. Didn't, didn't breathe that much fire. No, no. I guess the crazy rich Asian didn't lend a whole lot either to the <laughs> It was crazy, off. but not in a good way. Yeah. And, and you know, and we were saying off mic, but I'll say, you know, I just, I felt like I saw the trailer uh, and I just, I didn't really feel the chemistry that much. Hmm. I don't know. I just, it didn't compel me like other rom-coms. I like rom-coms. I'm a fan of the rom-coms. Really? I do like them. Uh, it's cheesy. You know, I like Notting yeah. Hill. I think that's great. I mean, I wish I was in the same camp. My I, wife would be like <laughs> elated, ecstatic. That's like her favorite type of movie. But right. Yeah, they just don't hit me that hard. So. Yeah, yeah. So I, I was when I, I was a little underwhelmed when I saw it. Two brilliant actors within their mm-hmm. own right. Definitely. But I just didn't feel that that was connecting. And I guess we were right because it didn't connect with the box office. But hopefully they'll make it up some other way. And but the so, box office is still up. I mean, so that that's really good. Yeah, you know, overall, to hear that. You know, we we there are some massive hits that have allowed the box office to continue to push through. It to just yeah yeah it also doing very well it too whatever. So it's 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 all kind of just you know again it's it's hits and misses. So you hope that the hits are bigger than the misses, but sometimes they're not. Something yeah, new. but you know what's interesting is in this time of the streamers, right? You know, versus, and this is all distribution at mm-hmm. the end of the day. But the streamers versus the box office versus traditional cable, yeah. You know, it's a time of just figuring all these things out. You know, mm-hmm. uh, Disney Plus has projected fifty to sixty million subscribers within the next two years. Jeez, 
That's a lot. That's a lot of eyeballs, but it's. I think. What's for, their price point? They're at. I want to say it's six ninety nine. Six ninety nine. Yeah, and, but you know, obviously there are discounts. So if you sign up for a year, you get like a sixty yeah. percent. They had some other little carve outs for the early subscribers <laughs> go to disneyland go to disney world you get this or that yeah of course you get hooked in and so you know all that means is more competition for netflix who was sort of the you know we talked about pioneers earlier on with borscht but the pioneer of this streaming industry yeah netflix um amazon there's a show uh that i just finished jack ryan mm. which I, I really did like this season it was really good so um amazon is trying to come with their own thunder oh yeah but i mean just in general these streamers they really have to come hard now they do yeah there's so much attention for the content eyeballs and and limited time you know there's so many great series like you cannot possibly keep up with everything that's out there hard to keep up so you know i think the future could be bigger but more niche if that makes sense yeah, yeah, it does. You it know. does. We'll talk more about that after the jump. Oh, yes. I can't wait to get into this jump, though. Jump into this. Ah. Brett Potter. And there's something else, and he's going to talk about this. I met Brett. Mm. I did an event during Miami Film Month. Right. And, you know, a couple of years running. And one of the films that we featured was this film called Yearbook. Brett was a producer on that film. But it's one of my favorite films of all time. It's an animated short. Yeah. I suggest you look it up. Is that on Criterion, right? Um, was that one of the films? Year, like- was that one of the films that went to... I, I'm sure it did. It won in Sundance. Right. Um, we have to check on that. Yeah. So the director, uh, Mr. Brito, um, definitely one of my favorite directors and a director to watch. But So we, we showed it there. And I swear there was tears in the audience, Ugh. tears in the audience. Sorry. And, you know, that was my first entry point in terms of Q&A right. with, with Brett. And, mm-hmm. you know, we've developed a relationship over the years. Right. But certainly it is great to see his career move forward and see how he has been on the rise. Yeah. So no. you're going to hear all about that in this upcoming interview. It's a really it's one of the special marquee Screen Heat Miami moments, I think, was this interview. Yes. So that's how excited we are. Here it is, Mr. Brett Potter, and we'll be back on the other side. Well, it's been flattened, you know? Yeah. The whole thing. Yeah. And with like it's crazy. It's cool. I think it's really cool. Yeah, I love it. Talking about the iPhone. Talking about the iPhone. We're, we're rolling. And we are still looking for sponsors, so iPhone, if you're listening. <laughs> Apple. Apple, you should sponsor these men. You should definitely do that. They've been pitching me on your products since I got here. Yes. <laughs> sponsor them. Yeah, we're on uh, Apple Podcast. So. <laughs> oh, are you? There you go. Yeah, we're on every platform. Yeah. Okay, sick. We got that. We, got, uh, we just applied for Stitcher, so hopefully we'll be on there soon. Cool. Google Play and Spotify and nice. SoundCloud. That's right. It. Yeah. So. so you just you gotta you go all platforms. You try to like keep them all. Yeah. Everything is hosted on SoundCloud, and then with the RSS feed, you can broadcast it everywhere. Oh. So every time we go live on SoundCloud, it automatically populates all the platforms. Oh, very smart. Very smart technology. Yes. yes. That magic. <laughs> Let's That's get this magic going. Yes. So we are here with the one and only Brett Potter, who is the and you can correct my title, Chairman of the Borscht Corp. Yes, uh, Chairman of the Board of Directors, but right. I just say Chairman for short. Yeah. You're the Frank Sinatra of Borscht. I am. The Chairman of the Board. Yep, I get the Chairman's privilege for Love sure. It. So welcome. First of all, thanks for coming in and doing this. Thank you. Uh, especially you guys are particularly busy right now. The next Borscht is, uh, Festival is coming up very soon. Yep, coming in uh, uh, like... How many days? What days today? Uh, the the first event starting about a week from now. Yeah. Uh, but the big dates this year are November twentieth to the twenty fourth. 
great. Yeah, we're ready. We're excited. Cool. Yeah. But before we dive into all the fun borscht stuff, we're, we just want to learn a little bit more about yourself. So where are you from originally? So I grew up in Indianapolis, Indiana. Um, I actually grew up outside of Indiana on a farm in Bartersville, Indiana. And, but I went to school in the suburbs and my father lived downtown. So I kind of got the farm life, the suburban life, and the urban life all in one by the time I was 18. Uh, when I left Indiana, I went to New York and went to film school at NYU. And I stayed in New York for probably about seven or eight years after that, uh, mainly being kind of a commercial producer and uh, a narrative film producer. But the entire time I was um, kind of unfulfilled, I guess, is what what you could say, because I really just kind of wanted to direct and write, but I didn't really have any economic prospects to do that in New York. But I couldn't make money being a producer, right? So that's kind of like what took up most of my life. Uh, And then I was, uh, at some point I applied to Borscht with a grant uh, for a horror film that me and uh, my writing partner Dean wanted to direct, came down to Miami and directed it. We got this grant from Borscht, came down to Miami and directed it. It's called Sea Devil, short film. Uh, And it was the the craziest experience of my life. We moved into the Borscht offices for like three months, literally just like uh, into a place without a shower. Like it was one of the most raw experiences (laughs) of my entire life. They do that Um, a lot in New York though. I mean, I live in New York. It's true. You're in a place, no shower. Right. But you don't leave New York to Miami for the same thing, right? But we, I don't know, we were totally into it. And um, so that short film, that's kind of like what started the my like creative life was coming down to Miami and working with Borscht and ever since then it started growing more and I started working more and more creatively and ultimately decided I just don't want to be a producer anymore hmm. so a few years later um Sea Devil, that short film, uh, was uh, taken into the Criterion Collection because the Criterion Collection started to take short films, and the first eight short films were Borscht short films. Sea Devil was one of those picks. Wow. And it was this sort of catalyzing moment in my life, where, and also in Dean's life, where it was just like, why are we focusing on anything? but our creative careers we're in the Criterion Collection now and like we have like callings outside of New York we have callings to do different things and so my creative partner Dean moved to the Philippines I moved to Miami this was like five years ago and uh, we've been like kind of pursuing like our things ever since I've sold a TV show um, I've been directing commercials for Uber and Google and Facebook and right now I'm doing a campaign for Levi's this winter um, I just dropped like a new TV pilot online it's not like a TV pilot, but it's a short film pilot mm. for something I'm making called the Spirit Series, which is just a bunch of uh, films about ghosts. So I just dropped the first one, Spirit Number One, um, and I've been working on Omniboat, which is Borscht's sort of big uh, flagship project right now, which is 15 films about a really sexy boat combined into one feature film. Right. So uh, that's kind of that's kind of my story. I grew up in Indiana, went to New York, uh, kind of like found a foothold in the film industry but realized I wanted to do something else and I moved to Miami to do that something else and it's kind of you know after four or five years of hard work starting to come true right yeah so it takes time it, it really does take time and and honestly if we were doing this interview two years ago I wouldn't be talking so confidently about it or like you know I do feel like I'm really starting to turn the hump where there's these things where like you you there's things that you want internally and that you're trying to manifest into the world and then there's moments where you actually see it manifested into the world and you're like whoa you know and like yeah so for the first time I'm having a lot of those whoa moments and I and I now I know that this is my narrative you know um but yeah it takes time and like a lot of really just hard insecure just like 
you know, the emotional duress is certainly a, a thing I wasn't expecting. But I can tell you, even if we would have done this two years ago, I mean, you worked on one of my favorite films, Yearbook. Yes, yes. And I say films, it was a short, yeah. but it's one of my favorite films, period. Uh, that's that's an honor. I mean, like, yeah, that, that film is absolutely incredible. And, like, that's one of those... Yeah, Bernardo Brito, the director of that film, is uh, just one of the most inspiring like uh, artists I know. I've always really succeeded, I think, by just surrounding myself with really incredible artists, Bernardo being one of those people. Um, but Yearbook, yeah, great movie. Yeah, we did um, a Q&A for mm-hmm. Yearbook mm-hmm. during Miami Film Month. You know, I did an event yeah. during Miami Film Month. Yeah, at, and, the, uh, at that, I remember. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and even then in the Q&A, t- you talking about what you have outlined for the future and, you know, what you're thinking about in the future, to me, that connection till now, you know, I knew even then that your path was, you know, moving towards, you know, you coming from your heart and doing what's in your heart. And it really makes me feel, you know, happy. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. To see you in this place. I remember talking to you at that event and me being like, I think I'm moving down here full time. And you were like, I want you to make sure you know what you're getting into. (laughs) You were like, this isn't New York. This isn't New York. And I was like, I know. I just like, I need to change. And you were like, do it, dude. Come down here. Yeah. And then I did it. Yeah, so that's, awesome. that's amazing. And um, we've been seeing, a, you know, little bits of spots about the Omniboat. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people are wondering exactly what's going to happen you yeah. know, and what that's going to be. Can you talk a little bit about that at all? Yeah, of course, of course. So um, just like a brief overview of the Omniboat project or maybe like and how it was incepted. So we've been trying to raise money for feature films for a couple of years Uh pretty much unsuccessfully right because all of our feature films are just crazy ass ideas like very uncommercial you know costs a lot of money at least in the ways that we want to do them and um, we were packaging a feature film uh, that Lucas Leva and Jillian Mayer were directing it was it's Postmodem which is like a feature version of one of their short films and it was a particularly difficult pitch, required a lot of VFX, required building a gigantic stage that you could just shoot the entire thing on. Like, it was madness. And, of course, everyone shut the door in our faces. No one wanted to finance the movie. It was just, like, a bad... It was a bad pitch. And so Jillian and Lucas were particularly frustrated with the feature film packaging process. And Lucas, one night... Um, I'm not sure exactly how it happened, but he was like, what if we, instead of sending around a packet being like, finance our movie, it was like, buy us a speedboat. And then we could take the speedboat and just like drive around on it and make a few movies on it. And that was sort of the seed of the Mm. idea. And I was like, hell yeah. I was like, let's totally do that. But a lot of the times, like we pitch each other stuff and they're just like pie in the sky ideas. And it really relies on someone like putting in the effort and coming back to the group and being like, no, this is the idea. And so Lucas went away and he made this packet which was why you should buy us a speedboat okay and it was basically a satire piece on the independent film packet right because you've got these independent film packets like this is the log line this is the genre this is a chart that shows you how much money people make in this genre these are the successful movies that are comps like Blair Witch Project Napoleon Dynamite like this and that so he makes this satire packet that's all of those things but it's reasons you should buy us a speedboat Hmm. places we can go on the speedboat (laughs) 
the kinds of people allowed on the speedboat. Like, and then movie comps, Napoleon Dynamite, Blair Witch Project. That's like, great. And it was it was just a straight up satire piece, and uh, just we thought it was really funny, and we were kind of frustrated, and just in some like sort of punk ass move, we just blasted it off to the industry, sent it to a bunch of places, and we sent it to agencies, right? Mm. And William Morris is like a cool agency, and they thought it was really funny, and they started circulating it. Another factor here is that, uh, like, we started sending the packet to directors, directors that we knew, the best directors we'd ever worked with at Borscht. Because at this point, there is like seven, eight years of like incredible directors making really good work at Borscht who had gone on to do bigger and better things, right? Um, and so we basically called all those people assembled the dream squad and we were like can we put your name on this packet because we're trying to get a speedboat and they were like sure okay <laughs> who wouldn't put their name on that pack yeah exactly like, sounds sure. less like, risky than making you, a movie yeah yeah you want a speedboat like sure so um I and most and I think all of the pitches I'd say 50% of the pitches people were just like laughing being like who the fuck are these people like like right. wasting our time eventually we found one company that was just like hell yeah let's do it so they at first they just gave us the money to invite all these directors down to Miami tell them like what's going on we've just got a speedboat we're gonna go take a ride on it this is the job like everyone has to come up with pieces of a feature film you know it has to incorporate the boat it has to like incorporate these things can't be longer or shorter than this mm. and and then we sent all those directors out and like some of those directors were like the Daniels and Barry Jenkins was there and um, like Amy Simons and Celia Ralston Hall and Terrence Nance and uh, it's really just like people that I'm just honored to like be hanging out with uh, so they all went away and wrote a bunch of like crazy beautiful scripts and they were good enough that the financiers decided to finance a whole feature film version of it right wow and so that's what we've been working on for the past two two and a half years and the the raw of all those directors has shifted a little bit like because this was before Moonlight was even even Oscar potential right Right. was when Barry came to the retreat and he was like oh I love this thing and then by the time that the film was being financed Moonlight had won an Oscar and Barry was like listen guys like my people aren't really going to let me do this boat movie (laughs) now I have people (laughs) and he's like and he's like but I'm glad that we were that I was able to help you get it financed and we're like yeah exactly and so now the roster's turned into like 14 15 directors total and um um, yeah, hopefully premiering it at a festival in early 2020 sometime, you know. But I think that's interesting because of how the film came together as a collective. So this was basically your network of filmmakers and contacts that you had been building or developing over the years. Correct. That you just kind of brought back into the fold to create this this project. Yeah, we sort of just assembled the all-star team. Mm. At least, and not in terms of like how who's good creatively, because in my opinion, there's a lot of like artists that have worked with Boris that are kind of like still in obscurity that are like the most brilliant people in the world. But we assembled kind of everyone that had, you know, was taking steps forward in the film industry and that we knew could get us a speedboat movie financed. You know? <laughs> right, right. And they were had they were much obliged. They were like, cool, I'll come down to Miami and make a movie on a boat. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a hard sell. No, it's really not. It's really not. <laughs> but, you know, we've been talking a bit about Borscht. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Borscht has definitely made an indelible mark on the industry. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people know about Borscht. But in case they don't. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about Borscht? and how Borst works and you talked about collective and 
Yeah. How did it start and where did it kind of go from there? Absolutely. So um, one of uh, the artistic director of Borscht is a guy named Lucas Leva, and he um, attended college in New York and would come back to Miami. He grew up here. He would come back to Miami during the summer to, you know, make films, show films with his friends. And like, long story short, it kind of was born out of the idea that they didn't really have anywhere to show their like terrible movies, you know, and there was uh, it, it sort of grew, you know, year by year after that and morphed into, um, you know, like a filmmaking collective, a group of people who raise money and work on each other's movies and then premiere each other's movies, right? And then Bors started getting grant money and it turned into a nonprofit, right? And so now, uh, at this point, it's a it's a nonprofit that does like three or four key things, right? And it is a film collective because there's, you know, five, six, seven people at a time, elders of the tribe that are running it and that have various responsibilities. Like, I'm the chairman of the board of directors, right? Which is the governing body of the organization. Lucas is the artistic director, right? And Dana Bassett is our new executive director who's handling, like, admin, administrative stuff, future directions of the stuff. You know, Dylan Redford is running the fellowship programs and the artistic development programs, and he's incredible at that. Olivia Lloyd is our head of production. So everyone has, like, different roles in this collective thing. You would be be shocked (laughs) at, like, how uh, flat it is when the five or six of us are in a room, like, in how fluid we are and how influenceable we are by each other and how willing we are to sit in the room and like be wrong until we find the right decision that we all collectively agree on. Right. Um, it's really beautiful in how it works that way. So yeah, so that's like sort of the structure and it's a nonprofit, right? Where we raise grant money from like, you know, arts grants, Knight Foundation, et cetera, et cetera. And with that money, we do three or four things. We give out grants to filmmakers, especially in the Miami community to make work that redefines cinema in Miami. We want to find new stories, interesting stories that haven't been told before. You know, our notion is that we're rejecting the old notions of or the old like images of Miami, the the drug dealers, the, you know, the Miami Vice, you know, you know, even though we just bought a speedboat. But that's kind of like a <laughs> that's kind of like a comment on us trying to redefine. Right. It, yeah, know? it's ironic in a way. Um, so, yeah. And, and so that's one one main silo of Borscht. The other is that, you know, we make our own movies. You know, we're we're here because we're all also artists and so we make our own movies we produce you know some selected movies that we finance etc etc and the last thing is we throw this festival every two years which is where we debut all of these movies that we're financing and producing Mm -hmm. and debut all of this work that you know we're we're supporting throughout the years right so um it's kind of like a non-traditional talent incubator Right. If that makes sense, right? It's like we kind of think of it as a non-traditional talent pipeline. Mm. Um, one of the things, and this is sort of like a newer program at Borscht, so it's not really like one of the key pillars yet. But we started this fellowship program a couple of years ago, where uh, young kids like from Miami apply and basically do a summer camp with us, start making movies. By the end of the summer, they've made four or five movies. They've like met Terrence Nance and Barry, and you know all these people, and like gotten personal lectures from. You know, we do our best to hand off our resources to these young kids. Mm. And some really incredible like artists have been born from it, and like people who are now working as filmmakers here in the city or like elsewhere. And so, um, is that the the Bisque? That's well, Bisque is, is, is the part of festival. it. Bisque has Bisque has broken off from Borscht, but they were part of that fellowship program, right? right. Um, so yeah, so from so like I said, like a non traditional talent pipeline. We are finding people who don't typically get the chance or the benefit of the doubt of being talented. Yeah. Giving right. them money. 
giving them a fellowship and giving them a platform in front of the biggest people we can possibly bring to Miami at the Borscht Film Festival. Right. That's that's sort of how it works. So the event is coming up now, mm-hmm. and this is what? How many years has the festival? Every it, two. Right? It's every two years. Every two yeah, years. every two years. Yeah. So this one is going to be. Number. Well, they say zero. It says zero, <laughs> it's, but it's I a rebirth. It, honestly, it really depends because there was a bunch of weird mini borsts in the beginning. You know that like sometimes count, sometimes don't count. It really depends I, I who you them. ask. But I've I been believe, to a lot of them. They're they're all like. You know, I mean, they're all amazing. amazing yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I believe this is like the seventh or eighth one, but since it goes every two years, we like you know the last one was borsch ten. Right. This one is borsch zero. <laughs> right, like right. the numbers, it's just it's you know it's just a troll game. Yeah. We're right. <laughs> having fun. It's a cool marketing campaign. I like the I saw the promo video with the snake getting on fire and the whole religious. Yeah, you like that? Yeah, I felt like a Kanye West music video. Or something. <laughs> yeah, it was really cool. We were channeling Kanye for sure. I saw that promo. I don't really consider it like marketing because it's just so it feels so organic. Cool. You know, it just feels like um, okay, this is what we want to do. I'm sure you know. There's a lot of thought that's put into it, but it certainly has. Um, you know, heart and soul to it. Yeah. So, then, yeah. and that's a big difference. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, we, it's we try not to be like stiff. We try not right. to be like, you know, there's Sundance. You know, all these other festivals they promote their materials in like one way. I almost feel like we're more vulnerable when we promote our materials. You know yeah. I mean? like yeah, we're, yeah, like we're, yeah. We're yeah, sending right. out more emotion. It's yeah. more raw. It's more yeah. raw. That's that heart and soul. You know I mean? Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, I'm glad you recognize that. So who's who's your target audience? I mean, who is the typical Borscht fan? You know, not necessarily the people that work on the movies, but the ones that would come out to this festival that you you know send newsletters to what's I would say it's typically like um, it's cinema people like film film people you know I find like when I go back to New York or when I'm in LA or any of the like you know prominent film communities most people know about Borscht just because it's this sort of you know nebulous weird thing that a lot of really great art comes out of right <laughs> and any sort of nebulous weird thing that has a lot of great art coming out of it like we all know about you know I mean or like like Meow Wolf you know Meow Wolf or like yeah yeah, yeah. You know, all these different, um, but no one's really sure what it, you know, exactly is. Uh, So that's like one demographic, right? Like film people who are like, what the fuck is that thing? You know? And then there's like Miami people, like the Miami art scene, like young people in the Miami community that um, are growing up in a city that really doesn't have a lot of infrastructure. If you want to be a filmmaker, doesn't have a lot of inroads into the film industry, right? Which is, um, as I'm sure you guys talk about a lot, like is uh, definitely in more of a trough than a wave in Miami right now in terms of infrastructure in terms of support and so um, yeah so we think about like cinema people and then we think about essentially young filmmakers in Miami who like need a shot you know what I mean who need an on-ramp who need a place to get in um, and you know we can do that you know we are like uniquely positioned to be able to do that and so uh, yeah those, those are kind of like our two our two demographics so I just want to hear definitely I want to hear more about you Mm -hmm. and what you're doing of course but just since the festival is coming up please please you know the festival is like a week is it a week long Uh, it's 10 days 10 days wow 9 days long this year yeah 15th to the 24th Yeah, it's a marathon you know we we warm up you know what I mean it's like it's like a locomotive you know (laughs) (laughs) like the first first couple days you know some events and then it builds and builds and builds and then it just it becomes like an all out frenzy by the 20th and like like yeah if you're coming into town 
one for Borscht. Highly recommended you come in for the 20th to the 24th. That's okay. really what's important. Those are the key dates. Those are the key dates. Land early in the morning on the 20th right. and, you know, write it out. You will miss some, like, cooler stuff earlier in the week, but, like, we understand that you can't come, you can't just waste seven days at Borscht or six days at Borscht. Yeah, right. You know? Right. But I just, I want to talk about, you know, some of the cooler, the other events mm-hmm. and, and that. I went to one of the coolest events that I've been to in my life. Um, you guys had an event at a funeral home. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. That was just, like, crazy. What was that about? So we kicked off the last Borscht by having a funeral for Borscht. Mm. So we... um yeah, the the first like uh, reception was at um, oh, what's that it's funeral home called? Yes, it's right yes. down the street. Yes, from yes, here, yes. From at the us. funeral home, in, right, Little Havana. Uh, and they were really cool. They were super down with the whole thing. But essentially, we were having a procession for like our own organization because uh, we wanted. To, you know, we we're always we're always about rebirth, dying, living. Like we're obsessed with this weird spiritual. So we had the reception at the funeral home, and in the 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 coffin was all of our hard drives of all of the work that we've done on Borscht for the past seven or eight years. Wow. Nine years, maybe. And we had pallbearers. They, like, loaded it up into a thing. We had a giant uh, procession or, like, whatever it's called when the when the, when you have cops and the cars and... Yeah. What's that called? Uh, uh, let's just it, say procession. I think it's I a procession. Remember. It's a motorcade. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, and we did that all the way to this, like, really, like, desolate spot of the Everglades where we led everyone into the woods and everyone was like, what's going on? And more of our hard drives were there, and we laid the coffin down, and we set it all on fire with fireworks. Wow! Yeah. And then that was how we opened up the the last Borscht Festival. That's very cinematic. Sounds like the opening to a cool movie, right there. Yeah, it's about yeah yeah yeah. yeah. It's, 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 it's about it, images. Yeah, it's, about it's a really amazing experience. It's a visceral kind of like I said, heart and soul. Yes. Know? So the festival is right. you know very different than any. I don't even want to call it a festival. It's an experience. You know? I yeah, think, right? it's an experience for yeah. sure. Yeah, so we have coming up, you know, 10 days we of, do. you know, and I recommend to anyone, you know, try to do all 10 try days. Try to do all there's, 10 there's, days. There's different things, but do, can you talk about some of the things that we have coming up for these 10 days? I got some highlights. I got some highlights. So, um, you guys know Shark Valley, the uh, the Shark Valley in the Everglades? Yeah, right. For, for um, everyone listening, Shark Valley is this incredible part of the national park system in the Everglades where you can rent bikes. It's an eight-mile path that goes through the Everglades and you can rent bikes or you can walk it or you can go on a tram but the thing here is there's gators everywhere on the paths like absolutely everywhere somehow the gators are completely coexisting with the humans more so than anywhere I've ever seen in this one national park and so what we're doing is um, we're having like a native program at Shark Valley so you can you'll get on a bike you'll get on a tram and you'll you know head out to this like basically there's like a like a tower like a like a lookout tower Mm. halfway through the trail when you get to that we're gonna have like all these screenings and like uh, there will be a blessing done and um yeah basically we're doing like a bunch of screens in the everglades and then as you bike back there will be like screens set up alongside in the everglades so you can watch stuff as wow. you're like biking back that's one of the things we're doing um see a lot of stuff on boats as you can imagine can imagine we will be we will be going back and forth uh between events on boats a lot omniboat we'll be going to uh <laughs> we will potentially watch movies about boats potentially right <laughs> we will potentially do fantastic things with a boat mm-hmm. and this is about a, i got i gotta be very vague about this one yeah right we have a big surprise planned 
and it does have to do with the boat, and you don't want to miss it. Right. And I love the imagery because, you know, they always say that this is your year of rebirth, and mm-hmm. water signifies rebirth. Water, yeah. truly. Truly. So, yeah. And even, you know, your logo, you have, it's, and, you know, if people aren't familiar with the yoga, it's like a snake eating an alligator eating a snake. Yeah, the Ouroboros. Right. So what, what was the genesis of that and the imagery behind, um, do you know a little bit about how that? It's actually just uh, um, an image from a documentary that was, like, reappropriated where uh, a gator <laughs> was eating a snake, and the snake was eating the gator. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's yeah. very cool. Yeah. It's like the circle of life. Yeah, basically. <laughs> well, basically. speaking of the circle of life, let's get back to your life. Okay. Yeah. So let's talk about some of the things that you have coming up. Okay. Because I talked to you a few months ago, and you were in New York. Right. And you were working on a TV show. A TV show. Yeah. So um, my writing partner, Dean Marshall, and I, uh, a couple of years ago, this was actually right after the last Borscht. We were, um, we've always had this idea for a TV show, which is basically like a true crime show, but Mm. the X-Files. Like if you did a true crime show completely fictionally, but about all the stuff the X-Files is about, and you had like two main characters. So we were trying to figure out this idea for a really long time, and we weren't getting any grants for it because it sounds insane. Weren't getting any like whatever. And, you know, Borscht was like, we'll give him a little bit of money. And Dean and I cashed out like, I think it was like half a Bitcoin at the time, which was like 800 bucks. Whoa. Yeah, big mistake, but whatever. <laughs> at the time, we were like, we need this. So we made this little mini pilot. It's like six minutes long. We call it the Midnight Service. And it's a story about this like broke stand-up comedian in the Everglades overnight and like this sort of home invader that's like trying to like, you know, essentially get inside the house. Wow. And um, we sent it to Tribeca and it played their episodic TV section. So we went to Tribeca and we went to the markets there and a company found us called First Look Media and they were like, hey, we want to expand this into like something longer. You know, would you guys like pitch this to us? And that led to a development deal. Wow. Which which basically went on for like two or three years. Um, you know, I never realized how it, like excruciatingly slow and like uh, in like it, the, the TV packaging process it just moves. Um, you know, I'm from independent film. I'm from like bam, like we can do it now. We can right. do this. Like, you know, I can go, 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 and that's really how I prefer to work. And TV, it, you're in a more corporate environment, yeah. and there's more fail safes, and there's more checks, and there's more people. Right. You need to get to balance off stuff, and and to some degree, it stuff becomes a little bit more watered down because of that like yeah. not a lot of really wild stuff makes it out because there's so many people that you have to get through before it goes out the door mm. it's incredible it's so much different than film in that way but and, and not that I'm unthankful because also you get paid more in TV and you get, you know, there's all sorts of other there's right. you know there's there's pros and cons to it but right. so I've been working on that for um, two or three years and uh, we'll see I don't know like TV statistically TV projects it's like pretty bad like even if you have like a development deal even if you've written all the scripts and um, but a lot of really really cool um, stuff has come from it so yeah and you know I think now we're in an interesting time we talk a lot about the podcast you know this whole how the the streaming industry has kind of overhauled the TV industry. For sure. Um, For sure. You want to talk about an alligator eating a snake eating an alligator. It's yeah, like, no, it's wild. It's <laughs> when wild. Netflix stepped up to the plate, it just changed everything. Yeah, it, flipped yeah, it, it, sent, it sent everyone reeling. For yeah. sure. And what reeling. I love about this new phase is I've always thought in terms of storytelling, you know? So right. as a storyteller, what are the different ways that you can tell your stories? Right. You know? Right. If it's episodic, well, wow, you got a 12-hour story that you can tell. Yeah. Right. You yeah. know, if you're, you know, shorts, it's five minutes. Um, and 
feature film, you yeah, know, two right. hours or, yeah. you know, an hour and a half or something like that. Right. So when you think about it that way, then it kind of flips it on its head. Right. Absolutely. Like, I think the, you know, like how we classify these things at this point is almost like um, semantics. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the my, one of my big lectures when I do the, the Borscht lecture at... Um, the fellowship like once a year I, I do like Brett Day and they just give them a bunch of insane <laughs> shit unloaded on them and at the end of it they're like ah but one of the main things that uh, I teach them is that you should actually brand your short films as pilots mm. so mm-hmm. you make a short film and this is what I just did with that midnight service thing essentially right. like we just made a short film and we were like it's a pilot and here's the thing is like everyone is submitting to short film programs at film festivals around the world that's just what people know like I made a short submitted it to the short category, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. But there's a hack. This is very important for all the listeners at home. There's a hack. Send your short films to the episodic sections. You'll get programmed more places. Mm. You'll be one of the better, you know, things in the block. You'll still have all the the laurels and the this and the that. And TV executives will be looking more. There are more TV executives in episodic screenings at film festivals looking for new new filmmakers, new directors, new writers than there are agents, managers in short film screenings looking for like new talent. You know what I mean? Like the short film thing is almost like uh, it's not like it's it's not like it's blase or whatever. It's it's just uh, there's just so many so many more short films. That yeah. Rebranding yourself as a pilot sounds really exciting. Wow. That's, uh, that's, so, that's so, industry so, gold right there. That is there you go. Gold. You heard so, it first. You heard it Sweet first. Heat Miami. So I really I definitely agree with you. Like the. Yeah, it's just like the there's no walls anymore. Like it can be right. whatever. Like do you, do you guys watch Sherlock, the BBC show Sherlock? I haven't I've seen, seen the new one. I've no. seen it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's like a, it's like a TV show, right? Yeah. But they're feature films. Yeah. They're ninety minute feature films right. structured exactly like ninety minute feature films. First act problems, second act deeper problems, third act resolution, and they're amazing. Yeah. You know what I mean? But people think they're TV, and that's like a particularly interesting example to me. Yeah. Where streaming has just like changed. Right. Yeah, and, and 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 also it's nebulous in the. The way that now you know people cross over mm-hmm. you know seamless people that yeah. were you know okay i'm only going to do film yeah you know and then of course they're now doing right you know they're doing all sorts you of stuff don't consider it tv but you know like episodic content yeah. or short form content or long form content mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. you know hmm. yeah. did you by the way did you see the Maybe this won't go on the podcast, or maybe it will. <laughs> did you? Okay, because well, I know did it's you, going on did for you, sure did you now. Go to the, did you go to the Sundance Workshop thing? I did not make it. Okay, no. so they had this system where behind the screen, people were upvoting questions to ask the, the yeah. panelists. You remember yeah. this? Yeah, yeah, I remember. And like. <laughs> The funniest questions were getting to the top, and they kept talking about Reddit because I think Jim Cummings was being talked about a lot. And Jim yeah. Cummings, king of Reddit, he's right. just he's a boss at it. Right. He's so good. Shout out to you, Jim Cummings. <laughs> and, but but someone in the audience didn't understand that it was Reddit, and so the top voted question for like forty minutes was, "What is this website, Redick?" <laughs> 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 That's definitely going on. I, 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 I somehow missed that. I was dying. I have, a, I have a photo of it that you can share with your audience. Yeah, can you, little yeah, audio we'll put it visual. on the website. I, I, I was up there. losing my shit the entire time, man. Oh my gosh, Redick. Uh, and then someone came out from Sundance and was like, guys, it's Reddit, not Redick. <laughs> if the first oh. dick isn't enough. <laughs> 
I left for like 20 minutes, so that was probably the 20 <laughs> minutes. Probably that the I, one. Oh my gosh! I would have brought it up. Everyone in the room. Everyone in the room who knew what Reddit was was like sweating. Like, <laughs> 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 I love it though. But you know, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but there's also like value in that. Like um, one of the things I liked about that Sundance workshop is a lot of people who just like have zero industry connection, zero idea of anything. We're just coming out and like taking notes, like a like at a business seminar, like whatever. And those people are really refreshing to talk to because it's yeah. nice to be reminded that you're doing something that people like want or cool or like are interested in. And um, I don't know. And also just like sometimes outsiders have like really good perspective. Yeah. I mean, stuff like why do you guys do it that way? And I'm like, I, I don't know, actually. Good question. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I want to talk about a short how you connect it with Borscht, which mm-hmm. was initially that short, mm-hmm. and what you what what has happened with that short now? Yeah, so um, yeah, like I was saying, Sea Devil was my the, how I got involved with Borscht, and like sort of almost like the uh, catalyst of like my me like leaving the producing life and having just a creative career. And uh, we went to so when Sea Devil when Criterion Collection there was sort of renewed interest. You know when we Sea Devil is about two um, two people trying to be smuggled into the United States on a shrimping boat. Mm. And when we made it, it you know this wasn't the hot button issue that it is today. And then when it went up on Criterion, all of a sudden everyone's like, we got to make this feature film. Mm. Ah, like you know it's a horror <laughs> film about immigration. La, la, la. And we were getting hit up by all these. Um, you know, blank house like type horror companies. Right, if right. you know what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. you know we're getting hit. Wow. Up, we're getting hit up by like the jump scare masters yeah. and like the the people that are pumping out stuff that I watch and I actually love. But like Sea Devil was like never really about like Sea Devil is a much more textured story and especially when you're dealing with that subject matter. Like yeah. we take that very seriously. Like um, and so we kind of held out for a while, but recently we went to New York about a month ago, five weeks ago, because. Um, a producer named David Kaplan, who runs a company called Animal Kingdom, he produced like It Follows. He recently did The Dead Don't Die, like mm. Short Term Twelve. He's done a lot of like really big horror and genre films. Right. He decided to come on board the project. Was like, I'll be an executive producer of this. I want you to come to New York. I'm going to set you guys up on a series of meetings. Right. So we went to New York and we pitched it like to everybody. It was like it was a marathon, like four or five pitches a day. I've never really done that before, but it was it was honestly really. Amazing. Amazing. Hmm. Pitched it from everyone to like, you know, Likely Story to like Darren Aronofsky's company to oh. like Netflix to like it was just endless all the pitches, and we walked away essentially with like a with a deal to shoot the movie next year. Wow! So right as of now in fall 2020, we'll be shooting the film. You know, somewhere Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, maybe one of the Caribbean islands if it, like it can work out and doesn't cost too much money. Right. You know? Right. 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 Uh, so. Um, Wow. Yeah, so so that's happening. We're the 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 Sea Devil short film is becoming a feature. Wow, congratulations! Thank it's you. Interesting because you mentioned that the subject matter obviously is very timely, and and the fact that you kind of held back because you didn't want the film to feel exploitative. Yeah, in a way. yeah. I mean, like we we just wanted to make the movie right, and like we also wanted to be ready as filmmakers. And like, shout out to my to my writing partner and creative partner Dean. I love you, bro. You're my man. <laughs> we got to get Dean on the show. You got to get Dean on the show because he's he's also a and truly incredible person. Um, but yeah, we we like we don't we just knew that we kind of needed to grow as filmmakers and we sort of you know we knew there was something missing for a while we knew there were like we were both looking for like a sort of more mature perspective on art and why we wanted to make cinema and like what we're actually here doing and uh, in the past like year or two like you know we've Dean and I have definitely like gotten to that level you know what I mean yeah. and, and uh 
at least we think that you know we'll see <laughs> we'll see we're at least with the level where we're comfortable you know what I mean I, right, I don't yeah. mean the level in which like Sea Devil is going to be amazing even though it is going to be amazing <laughs> but, like, you know now we feel confident and comfortable uh, making an elevated like art house horror movie you know what I mean mm. not like some not like a jump scare or, like whatever like we want to make like something more like the witch more like get know, out maybe. the Ari Aster yeah. stuff right. yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah like, that, I was I was thinking get out yeah. I, I, I didn't want to say get out mm-hmm. you know but, but I, I think certainly on I a cerebral to, level he, he's up there yeah um, so so yeah but I had a question because you mentioned cinema this is you know I want to get into like more sort of like the industry trends right now and you know the recent comments from Scorsese you oh, know yeah. he's been out there talking about how Marvel movies aren't movies or they're not cinema mm-hmm. um, what are your thoughts on sort of his his stance okay, right I, now I, I think I have like a a moderately unique take because most people come here and be like Scorsese's right like da, da, da. like initially I love Marvel movies honestly I see every single one of them like I cried in Endgame I several times like the, those stories in that universe and like the Star Wars movies and like all the big IP things it truly is my dream to direct something inside one of those universes my dream is to direct a horror movie inside the Marvel universe <laughs> you know that like um Doctor Strange was supposed to be a horror movie at first, but then they kind of tried it out, and they were like, you know, like I think it's a little too early for a horror movie. Yeah, because Marvel movies are genre movies; people they, don't realize it. Right. You know? they, yeah, like, exactly. You know, Ant Man is for kids. It's comedy. Yeah, yeah, yeah Ant Man's right. the com- Guardians of the Galaxy is ca- comedy. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and so I love all those things. And when when this whole debate started, I just, honestly, the, the 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 online conversation, the rhetoric right now, like the way that we are just endlessly debating stuff instead of like actually making art, really bugs me sometimes and so I really hold out to not get involved or right. have an opinion or whatever and like of course Scorsese is going to say that because like you know that's not the kind of movies he makes like they, it's all cinema to me but then I just read the op-ed that he published and he honestly makes so many great points I was completely changed by it you know what I mean I really was like uh, and it's and, and I, I wouldn't say that I don't think that Marvel movies aren't cinema anymore because I think they are and I think Marvel movies do take risks and I do I think they do do all these things but those things are made by panels of brilliant filmmakers you know what I mean like there was this did you guys ever read Creativity Inc.? No. Okay, it's this book by Ed Catmull. And Ed Catmull is the guy that started Pixar and grew, grew Pixar to be the gigantic beast that it is. And now he runs Disney Animation. I believe so, yeah. Um, but he talked, that book is all about how the reason why every Pixar movie rules is because it's made by a panel of filmmakers hmm. 10 to 15 brilliant people who are in a room every two weeks and who just shred the project, shred it and shred it and shred it until it can't be shred anymore. And then it rebuilt back up, comes back to everyone, and they shred it again. And these movies just get like you know scrutinized and built on in like draft after draft after draft for two or three years, and vetted by such a big panel of filmmakers that by the time it comes out, the chances of it being fucking awesome is so big. You know what I mean? Um, so it's it's kind of like making movies by panel, right? right. Yeah. TV shows are done this way in a, in a writer's yeah, room. Writer's you know what I mean? Yeah. Sure. But Pixar were the first people that took this into the feature film kind of world or or the first people who really like got credit for it or whatever these Marvel movies follow this exact thing Mm -hmm. they're made by 10 15 brilliant filmmakers who all have agency in it there's one director there's one writer but like don't fool yourselves there's a panel of people behind these movies making sure you know like um uh, the director of uh Black Panther Ryan um Coogler Coogler right you can see Coogler's fingerprints on like 40% of that movie. Right. Yeah. 
let's be honest with ourselves. But it has to feel Marvel, though. It, it has, has to feel to Marvel. Feel in the canon. The brand absolutely. has to be there. No, yeah. I totally get it. I totally right. get it. So I guess my point here is that Scorsese is absolutely correct that we are. Uh, there is, there's, it's increasingly troublesome that raw ass artist energy, someone who just makes a movie and it's straight out of someone's brain that's glowing in the dark, like an auteur, and an auteur, and it's not perfect and it's not like you know whatever, but it's so inspiring and it goes to this place that I can't even really put it into words. It's like this emotional part of the experience, you know, that's the thing that we're really missing out on, and like those movies aren't really being financed that much, and like the reason why like cinema people are like you know, have the, all this modern attitude about cinema. Like, oh, remakes like this and that. Like we're not financing the artists that are going to tell those stories. You know what I mean? Like it's like, right. would, P, would PTA succeed in today's world? Would Wes Anderson succeed in today's world? Yeah. You know, would Catherine, he was would, would Bichelot, yeah. you know, Catherine Bichelot succeed yeah. in today's, you know, uh, I, I don't know, man. And like the way that he ends that article and he says like, it's such a brutal time to be making right. movies for young artists yeah. and writing these words fills me with terrible sadness. That's how he ended the article. Yeah, I know. Oh, I thought it was gonna. Was, I thought was I was big, gonna cry, man. Yeah, like, me too. No, he, yeah. he really sucked you in. Like he and I think it, what it goes to the point is that not everything can be uh, uh, resolved in a tweet. No. Sometimes you need <laughs> a longer format. Yes. You know. Yeah, like, you need to chew on it. Yeah. But and it, he's he's so smart, man. He's such a good writer, and I can't wait to watch the Irishman. Oh, that's oh, gonna everyone's be sick. excited. Yeah. I cannot. Oh, man. We we talk a lot about the Irishman on the podcast. Oh, really? I think from the start right. of the podcast, you know, right. it's I been think, reoccurring. So. I think it's playing in some theaters in New York. Is it gonna play in theaters down here? Yeah, it played. Yeah, did, um, did it? Tower? Did it play at the tower? No. I think it played at the tower. Did? Oh, yeah. Really? I was googling the closest yeah. place I think I found was like Del Rey or something. No, oh, but really? I think it did. Yeah. I, I, mm. I, I want to say, but there could have been a private screening. Yeah, or something. maybe. Yeah, because I don't think there. Was I know one of my Facebook friends, you know, was talking about they were gonna go see it or yeah. they saw it or you know, mm. I have to go back and look. I should have yeah. screenshot. I think that's <laughs> definitely gonna be his magnum opus. Yeah, for sure. Oh yeah, yeah bringing yeah, all yeah. the greatest hits of the. Of the mob genre back. This is his. This is his moment right now, yeah. especially with yeah. the whole Marvel thing. Like he's just like everyone's Scorsese's in everyone's head. Yeah, free real estate. He has yeah. an amazing publicist. I will say that. Uh, yeah, they, yeah. Great timing there with all that stuff. Great right? timing. But yeah, this is this has been a great interview, and we've gotten through so much in forty five minutes. Like I, I can't even. Has it been forty five yeah. minutes? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. Been flying through this. Blows through. But yeah, but I, I wanted you know the last. I think we should end with our last couple of questions that we always ask. Kevin, do you want to? Yeah. So. And this has been a tradition. We started it on the first podcast, but um, it's a two-part. So the first part is what would you tell yourself, I guess, back in high hometown? Yeah, back in, in high Indiana. school. Back in Indiana. Now, what would you tell yourself? What advice would you give yourself? Ooh. If you were a Back to the Future movie and you could yeah. talk to yourself. And then the second part is, well, we'll get to the second part in a minute. Yeah, I want to hear this I want to hear the first part. I, I mean, I'm a really simple person. I would, I wouldn't even tell, you know what? Because I can't, <clears throat> there's a lot of, okay, I'm going to extrapolate here for a second. There's a lot of parallel universes out there with different breaths on different journeys. <laughs> And I think about those Bretts all the time. And which one of those Bretts are doing better than me? Which one of those Bretts are doing worse than me? And it's not even like a, like the, I, I, I don't know. I feel, I feel happy and blessed and actually like so like in tune with where I'm at right now that I wouldn't tell myself anything that would affect the journey of me getting here. Right. But I would tell myself to buy a bunch of Bitcoins. 
that's what I would that's do. That's good enough. Dude, that's what that's, I would do. That's brilliant. Yeah, it's like giving yourself the lo- the winning lotto numbers. I would. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And then I would tell and I would tell them exactly when to cash it out. Right. And then I would have a little feature film fund. There you go. Purely in service of the art. You'd be Completely. Miami's mogul right now. Yeah, basically. <laughs> wow, that's great. That's my answer. That's my part, answer. Part two. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's the advice you would give because this is the second part. What advice would you give, um, or do you give to? I, I'm going to say content creators. You know, yeah, the content, content creators, young creators, content creators huh? now. Like, what's your staple piece of advice? Um, dang, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like I'm always looking for the advice. I'm always like, what am I doing? Yeah. I would say, um, um, making movies and making art is, is harder than I ever thought it could be emotionally, physically. It is so brutal, but I have to say that there are these moments, these like brief moments that you chase of such like glory and beauty that make it all worth it. And so if you're making content, I know it's hard. I know you're not making any money and you're struggling, but I'm just telling you there will be these moments that really pay off and you'll know like, this is why I'm here. Like, this is why I did that. So just hang in there, shoot me a tweet. If you need some inspiration, I'm all about it. I'm like a pep coach, BR3TTPOTT3R on Twitter and Instagram. Shout out to the audience. Love it. Well, wow, that's it. Let's let's go. let's blow the mic up. This whole interview was a huge <laughs> like Boris. Blow the mic off. up. There you go. We'll have to regenerate <laughs> it next CGI, week. Yeah, maybe <laughs> Dean Lyon come in and explode it digitally. All right. So, uh, yeah, I want to thank our guest Brett Potter today. Lots of luck with Borscht. We'll be promoting the heck out of it. So thanks for blowing our mic up. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having me on, boys. Boom Appreciate goes it. the mic. <laughs> And we are back in. Yes, yes, yes. That was an amazing interview. That was emotional. Yes, it was. It really cut to the core. And I love the idea of finishing on, just touching on the Scorsese subject matter and everything that, you know, we feel that cinema should be, at least at a certain level. Sometimes it has to be raw. It cannot be fully processed. Yeah. It cannot be a packaged product. Yeah. And I think that's something that particularly the Borscht, Borscht uh, filmmakers bring to the table. There's a certain unique rawness to yeah. what they do. Yeah, and you know what? The thing is, um, that op-ed, Brett said it. You read that op-ed and you get to the end, you can feel a single tear yeah. come down your left eye. You're not bawling, but that when he ends it on that sad kind of down note and you realize it's like a heaviness, you know, and you're like, man. Because what it is really is passing the torch to the next phase right of the industry but you're like mourning the old cinema yeah of the 20th century those days are gone no they're not <laughs> i refuse not to like the movies right not the shows but those type of cinematic experiences hmm. right the day and age of scorsese and what he talks about in that article hmm. It's not going to be the same anymore. Yeah. No, you're right. Eventually, you have to let go of the 8-track and embrace the DVD. Now. <laughs> How did you go from 8-track to DVD? <laughs> Analog to digital. Uh, audio to... 
It's yeah. the, the oldest piece of technology I could think of. Okay. Uh, so, so yeah, but I'm. if you wanted to see a little bit of that rawness, I, we do suggest all our listeners, if you can, to te- check out the Borscht Film Festival. You can go to borschtlives.com and get your tickets there, get insight on all the events they're doing. But it's, it's a really fun ride with a lot of folks from our community that really care a lot about cinema. And a lot of people came out of Borscht. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he talked about some of them. I mean, Terrence Nash. And Barry Jenkins and uh, and even some of the founders. The you know. collaboration with Barry yeah. Jenkins and Terrell Alvin McCraney. That all started with that connected. Yeah, with Andrew Andrew Hevia. Andrew Hevia, yeah, who uh, he's spoken at our conference before, and just a talented film talented filmmaker and producer in his own right. So yeah, even the founding members, Jillian and obviously Lucas Leva and all those guys that are really just pushing the envelope and and doing big things. I mean, it's not neat to get into the Criterion Collection. You know, to it's be huge. consistently recognized at Sundance, one of the top film festivals in the world, it's it's special. And I had a conversation with Phil Lord at um, Miami Film Festival a couple of years ago, and Phil was like, yeah, I come to Miami every so often, you know, my family is here, and I make it to the Borscht Film Festival. There you go. So, you never know. You never what know. What are going to see? And you never know what you're going to get on Screen Heat Miami. 305. That's right. So Rocking we, it live. We'd love to... Uh, it's, is this a new segment? Are we calling it a new segment? It's a new segment. The intern of the day. <laughs> <laughs> so we got intern Andre. Intern Andre is here. Who knows Hello. a little bit about film. He knows yeah. a little bit about things. So he was talking about a few interesting movies that we have coming up. Shia LaBeouf has something coming. Yeah. Um... He has a, a kind of autobiographical kind of movie about his childhood um, called Honey Boy. He plays his alcoholic father trying to uh, push his son in the right direction in the acting world. And maybe it'll it pushes his son a little too far over the edge. It's very dramatic. Very. I don't know if it's going to be heartwarming. It looks very Dark. I don't know. Shia LaBeouf, heartwarming. I don't think those go yeah. hand in hand. Yeah. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> what else you got, Andre? Uh, recently, today, actually, um, I don't know who's making, I forgot who's making the movie, but they released the new design for Sonic, for the, for the Sonic movie that they announced almost a year ago. It was supposed to come out last week. Sonic the Hedgehog? Sonic was supposed to come out. The video out. game. No, the movie. The movie. The movie. Right. Based off of the video game. Yes. Of course. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. The movie was supposed to release last Friday, but they pushed it back, I think, to March because they animate, they reanimated every scene that has to do with him and his design. I don't know what this says about the movie. The movie doesn't look great, <laughs> but his design does look a lot better, a lot more... Uh, faithful to what he looked like in like the early 2000 video games but it's incredible how much money they lost had they just created the image and put it out on social media they would have gotten that feedback without spending a dollar (laughs) they waited until like (laughs) post-production and then realized it was almost done maybe there's an issue now we're gonna have to spend an extra hundred million dollars Wow, and they pushed it back until March, so Oopsie. that's a big pushback. <laughs> that's the- there was a conspiracy that they said they made him ugly on purpose to push 
like um, advertisement for the movie. Oh, wow, that that could be something. Yeah. That's an expensive publicity campaign, though. <laughs> CGI is not cheap, fellas. No, no. But maybe they already they just put the ugly Sonic up. Right. And they already had the good Sonic. Maybe. You're right. It could have been a smoke and mirrors. You never know. Type of thing. Maybe there there were there were two hedgehogs. <laughs> Maybe. But Maybe. Uh, so thank you, intern Andre. Thank you. Good yeah. turn. <laughs> thank you, intern Andre. We'll have intern Andre come in from time to time. Love it. With little tidbits. So I think that we are at a point now where we can start to understand that the media industry is growing. It is changing. It is evolving. But, you know, a part of us wants to hold on to the way things have always been. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. And, you know, I think you said in the last podcast, everything old becomes new. Things kind of recycle. So, you know, I'm excited to see what parts of the cinema we grew up with are still going to be around. Yeah, but even in the cinemas, the things are changing. Because the cinema that's closest to my house, Mm. you no longer go to the box office. You have to get your tickets. You have to get everything at the concession. Right. Like a kiosk or whatever. Or on an app. Well, no. Yeah, you've been able to get it in the app. No. Hmm. The Regal by my house, you have to go to the concessions to buy your tickets. Really? Yes. Huh. Yes. And is it now all assigned seating? Yeah, it's all assigned seating. Right. So that's, you know, that is one change. But, you they know. serve adult beverages now? Of course. There you go. Well, I love that. Yes. <laughs> that's very European. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, they've been doing that forever. Yeah. But also, um, one of the big changes is now, you know, AMC and Regal, they have their per month services. Right. Where you can see as many movies as you want to. For I think Regals is twenty dollars, twenty one dollars. Right. I think AMC. I have to look up the charge and I'll let you guys know next week. Mm. But you know that's another change. So they're shaking so many things up. Going back to the subscription model. I and, guess yeah, and that's what it is. And you know, uh, one of the pioneers in that, which unfortunately is not doing well right now, is Movie Pass. Which yeah, Movie you know, Pass is. They're uh, the ones that first kind of, I guess stumbled and tried to uh, you know just really change that industry and using the Netflix model for the movie going experience but didn't quite work out the way they had planned no no but I want to see what's going to happen with Regal and AMC yeah yeah, now that the chains themselves are running, I think they didn't like that a third party was trying to disrupt the the system. You know, the mm-hmm. relation that very kind of delicate yet unique relationship between distributor, studio, and theatrical exhibition. And to see a third party kind of come in and try to <laughs> overturn things, it didn't quite turn out the way everyone had hoped. Yeah, and agencies, we can't forget agencies. Right. Yes, and they're part you know, of that whole system. Of course, too. Yeah. system of things. So all of that, you know, it, it's a delicate dynamic. But to see now that you know, I think the theater chains like Regal and AMC saw the value in a subscription service, but I think they wanted to keep it closer to the best. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to see how it plays out over time. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, you're, you're right. The theater going, and I wanted to comment because I, I go to the silver spot in downtown Miami. Yeah. And you know, there is an app that you can not only order tickets, but concessions, and then they deliver it to your seat. And deliver it to your seat. That's right. But what changes, and this goes back to treating, you know, the, the preciousness of sitting in the room. And you remember the big thing in the old days, not that many years ago, turn off your cell phones, right? Yeah. That's the first thing they asked. No talking and turn off your cell phones. Now, you can order food up to an hour into the movie. Oh, through your phone. really? So they're now encouraging you to keep your phone on. Yeah. 
Well, I know that they have been playing around with having second screen experiences as well. I don't know how that will work. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I feel the teardrop. <laughs> oh, a little clout. Scorsese. Talk amongst yourselves. Scorsese is going crazy. When they institute that, that's it. He's Movies are neither art nor cinema. Discuss. <laughs> Um, there is something that's a throwback that I wanted to talk about before the end of this segment. Okay. Which was, and this is kind of related to Borscht, which, you know, I, I think their bread and butter is short films, right? Sure. And Brett spoke a lot about this evolution of short films and how short films um, can be looked upon as concepts and ideas for bigger frames. So that certainly did happen with his film and you have an experience with that as well yeah yeah so you know obviously the, the film that we're in post on right now J.R. poorly directed we'll have him soon as well Marcus started off as a short film we were in over 25 festivals won a bunch of awards uh, very happy and proud to have also been part of the Miami Film Festival last week or uh, last this past March but now yeah that, that concept has evolved into a feature film and I think specifically what he was mentioned is that you can also treat your short film as the pilot for a TV series yeah and how there seems to be more access industry wise within TV festivals than within film festivals but film festivals are now adding that component so Tribeca has an episodic component mm. Sundance has an episodic component and and this is also a marker of the changing of the times yeah and you know, I've always thought of content as just storytelling, you know, whether you're telling a one minute story, a five minute story, 60 minutes, mm. two hours mm. or a 12 hour story, right. which would be an episodic, yeah. you know, or 24 hours or whatever. So when you look at it in that way, you know, and you think about the kernel of a concept, the kernel of an idea. And what that kernel can become. Yeah. You know, that is really interesting. And that is a marker of the changing of the times. Yeah. Yeah. But I thought it was really smart to kind of use the short film format as the gateway to bigger platforms. Yeah. And to bigger series and to bigger, you know, store. I'm oh, sorry. Stories <laughs> that can evolve. And and I think that that's that's important. That's cool for the emerging filmmaker to know, you know, how do I get my foot in the door? How do I use the little resources that I have? You know, sort of what I have available to me right now. You know, this idea that don't wait until someone gives you that shot. You have to just make content. You have to make stuff. Yeah. We have the resources. We have cell phones that now are 4K, 60 frames a second. Insane, you know. And uh, even in the early days of our conference, I remember we had a professor from NYU. And this was like, gosh, this has been eight years ago. That was at that point teaching a course at NYU called Cell Phone Cinema. And he, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You remember yeah, that? Yeah, I remember that. And yeah. he was, you know, he was sort of the prophet of the future of cinema will all be done through a phone. You will shoot, you will edit, you will publish and distribute through one device. Yeah. That fits in your pocket. We're just about there. Yeah. We're just about there. And we also here with you. I know. Knocking things down. <laughs> but um, but th- this was a good segue into our next guest, our guest for next week. Right. Jay LaPlante. Oh, yes. Yes. Uh, the d- longtime director now of the Miami. Executive director of the Miami Film Festival. Film Festival is going to be our next guest. I'm excited to talk to Jay. I think he's also doing some really interesting things in his festival as well. And to see that festival grow, it's, you know, probably 
the longest running of the major festivals in Miami. It's going what on thirty seven years next year. Yeah. So it's it's up there and one and of the biggest film events in Florida. Yeah. No, definitely. And to see that event grow to what it is, and uh, I remember I was part of the festival for the twenty fifth anniversary. And that was special to see that. But now to see how it's even evolved from there is going to be spectacular because I think that we have such a unique opportunity here with what the different local film organizations are doing and that they're starting to get recognized at a national and international level that there is something. And this is, you know, for our our home folks, you have a lot to be proud of. And there's so much going on, but there is so much work to be done. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm interested to hear um, Jay's take on content. Oh, yes. And see, yeah, how maybe his festival might have to evolve. I know they they've also shown some TV stuff as well. Yeah, they've evolved. They've yeah. evolved. So we're going to see how, the, how how they are evolving. Yeah. So I'm excited to have that conversation for sure with Jay next week. But in the meantime, I think that we have a lot going on. We're going to have so much more to report next week after an entire week of Disney Plus and so on. <laughs> You're going to be inundated. Oh, man. I'm going to come in with a bloated binge belly of content. <laughs> so much content. Oh, I can't. Man. Yeah. <laughs> So until next week, I am JL Martinez with Kevin Sharpley. And this is the one, the only Screen Heat Miami. Dolly. Boom.